Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now, driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. I've just been happy with the sort of the rhythm and, and, and things that I've worked on, as I said before, just to get in a, a clearer mindset and, and have that rhythm. And, and yeah, I guess the things that I worked on coming out of the, the Gabba Shield game into the Dremoyne game and, and being pretty focused and clear since the, since the Gabba game um, throughout the T20s as well is, is, is pretty pleasing for me. Nice to, to contribute to, to wins for New South Wales and Australia and hopefully now having that mindset and, and having that, um, having that uh, I guess, that rhythm now um, working on that for the last few weeks. Hopefully that can carry on through the summer. That was Mitchell Stark talking at the uh, conclusion of the Sheffield Shield game at the SCG last week. He's raring to go for the test summer. Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel. My co-host is here, Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? Excited. I can't wait. I think that the way that Pakistan played against Australia A has really given me a lift that maybe we're going to have a competitive test series after all. Yeah, I feel in ripping form leading into the test <laughs> summer. I've been warming up in the shield, warming up at the WBBL. I feel like I'm, I'm seeing the ball well. So I cannot wait for the test stuff to uh, kick off. There may not have been anyone in the world who's watched more cricket than you over the last eight days, Manners. <laughs> I am not even nearly at cricket saturation point. I can just, just like dipping my toe in the water so far. All right, so in today's podcast, we're going to head straight to the Gabba and speak to the chief cricket writer from the Australian, Pete Lawler. Then Paul and I will give our preview of the Australia v Pakistan test series. Then we've got the week's cricket headlines, the social media segment, and can't let it go. All right, well, let's uh, kick things off by calling Pete Lawler at the Gabba. All right, so we've got Pete Lawler, the chief cricket writer for the Australian, on the line. Pete, how excited are you on the eve of the test summer? <laughs> oh, it's always exciting to get it started, isn't it? The build-up kind of drives you mad after a while, so it'd be nice to see some people out actually playing cricket and we can stop sort of banging our gums together about who's going to play and who isn't going to play and who's done what because they'll be actually doing it. Yeah, I think that uh, the Australian Ooh. selectors got... What's wrong? Sorry, sorry. I just Josh Hazelwood's just clunked, so Burns on the helmet. Ooh. Put him on his bum. So sorry, I should say, the scene, you're, behind, you're behind the net. I'm standing at the AB field watching training. I think he's okay, I think. They're running in to inspect the helmet now. He's up and about anyway. Well, this is breaking news on the podcast. We don't often get that being uh, delayed. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, well, Steve Smith's come down to inspect to look now. They're batting together in the middle at the Allen Border Field. 
Oh, that's no Give good. Give him a drink. Josh, Josh seems concerned. I must admit, I saw Hazelwood at the Shield game last week. He looks so fit. I mean, he looks fit and raring to go. Yeah, he's in peak condition, isn't he? He had good ashes, I reckon. Real good ashes. So, yeah. He's, he's at the top top of his form, Josh Hazelwood. Absolutely. Now, I think the Australian selectors got the squad pretty right. Uh, I think that you can't really argue with too much of it. My only thing is, I guess, the Bancroft selection sort of came from left field. How do you read that one? Oh, God, how do you read that one? I mean, was he the last bloke standing? Um, I don't know. I mean, how would you feel if you were... If you're Ruslan Kawaj looking at that and saying, you know, if you look at those numbers stacked up against each other, there's Ruslan who has, you know, a significant test record. Cameron, who's done nothing in test cricket, somehow edges past him on the, you know, a uh, sort of clutch shot in an Australia A game that he shouldn't have been playing in. He was a last-minute inclusion to. I mean, I see what they like about Cameron Bancroft, but I wonder if you, if you're a Harris or you're a Kawaj or looking at that, you know, Kawaj, Harris has got a shield average this year of around 60, hasn't he? Yeah. You guys would know that better than me. Whereas Bangers is... Uh, About 11, I think, Bangers has averaged this year. Appallingly, really. But um, do you think is there, th- this 14-man squad, is that going to be the norm going forward with the concussion sub situation? Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. I don't know. I, I was surprised at the 14-man squad, but a fair indication that you do have to have somebody, you, you do have to have a qualified batsman sitting in the sheds, don't you? So I guess, yeah, I guess so. That's the way they're going to go. You could then, I suppose, make the argument that why don't they have a spin bowler in there as well? I mean, if, if on the fifth day, Nathan Lyon gets hit in the head just as Australia's about to go out to bowl, <laughs> they really should have a, a spinner around. <laughs> well, and a wicket keeper too. I, mean, I guess you got Matthew Wade. I mean, how far do you want to go with this stuff? But it would appear that the batsman's the hardest to sort of cover for, isn't it? Yeah, Pete. Have you heard anything about how close they are to appointing a new selector, a third selector? Do you know your sort of whereabouts they are on that? No, they're trying to keep that one in the book of secrets, like they were with the assistant coach. They're being very, uh, very hush hush about it. I haven't really got on my horse and sort of tried to chase that story down too hard. Uh, but no, I know that it was always sort of the second item of business after appointing an assistant coach, so one assumes that they're hard at it now. It can't be too far away, can it? Yeah, I mean, the reports I've read are that it's between Michael Klinger and George Bailey. Have you got any substance to that? Yeah, I've heard Bailey, Klinger, uh, Hodge as well, yeah, and right. Cam White. And I'm wondering if Cam White might be the guy that ends up with it. I think there's some talk that Klinger might have another job in the BBL as a coach, so you can't be coaching the BBL and be the T20 selector, can you? Yeah, I don't think Klinger's the right man. He, he, he's too much in the WA camp. We need someone that's <laughs> going to rail against Justin Langer's crazy notions of selection. Oh, Klinger's WA camp. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you say that. I suppose you're... You know what my mail was, that it wasn't necessarily um, Justin Langer that drove the Bancroft selection. But um, Cracker Holmes is a big fan of, of Cameron Bancroft. Yeah, right. Okay, well, ah. he got in some hot water, Holmes, because he said that Bancroft's improved since the Ashes. But uh, the evidence would should suggest otherwise. And, you know, I was in the commentary well, box. He's averaged, yeah, but, so he must have averaged 10 in the Ashes, did he? I was in the commentary box with, you know, the guys from WA who've seen Bancroft play all the cricket this summer. And they just do not think he has worked out that technical flaw. So I don't know what games Cracker's watching. Do you think he's been picked as a, as a um, as just as the sub, the concussion sub? Yeah, and a yeah, good short so leg. The least damage to have him sitting there, and then at least the others can go off and play, do something a bit more serious. Well, it could be something as the years go by that you're going to have um, potentially what we used to have with someone like Kasprovic who'd spend the whole summer as 12th man and not really getting much um, cricket. If they're always going to have a spare batsman hanging around, that's not going to be necessarily ideal. I thought that even if Pattinson was still going to be um, eligible for selection, Stark was an absolute certainty to play in the first test. Uh, Do you think that, do you agree with that? And do you think that he has come back a better bowler for all the work he did under their guidance in England? Uh, Is Stark a better bowler? I'm not sure. I haven't seen enough of him, but I agree with you. I don't reckon that Pattinson was, my my mail was that Stark was going to play but they were favouring to pick him. So Pattinson can count himself very lucky. He's basically serving a one-match suspension from a test that he was unlikely to play. So uh, 
And uh, they've just, news has come through today that he's actually left the squad. They've given him a break. He's right. going to go and spend some time with his family because it's all been very stressful, as you'd imagine. Yeah. And um, then he's going to go and train with Victoria and won't rejoin the squad until Adelaide, which is an interesting development. But uh, the unfortunate look, wasn't it? It was the last thing, last thing that male cricket team needed going into the summer was something like this, you know, particularly a homophobic slur, that's what we've been writing. Absolutely, and I think that the way that it was handled seemed to be reasonably swift and reasonably um, pleasing in the sense that Pattinson immediately knew that he'd, he'd done something that was inexcusable and he was going to have to cop whatever ban he got. What do you think of the, the room or the reports, um, I think it was in the Herald Sun, saying that there was also a fair degree of sledging um, of the young Jake Fraser McGurk in his first game? And that there's a, feel, a feeling that maybe certainly what what, hap, what the the punishment Pattinson got was well deserved, but is there a problem where if you don't racially vilify someone or homophobically slur someone, you kind of can get away with with more than you should? Oh, yeah. Look, I, I, as long as as long as you're not as, as long as there's no homophobia or racism involved, then you keep it reasonable. I. I I don't know. It just seems to be the way of test cricket to to mentally test young players when they get out there. Hasn't it always happened? They'd they'd say that that, that yeah, that's the case, I suppose. Um, although Ian Chappell always says that the sledging that was alleged to go on in his days is 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 um, exaggerated. I suppose. Yeah, he does say that, and you know, and it does, and maybe they're right. You know, you watch those old old matches. There's not a lot of talk goes on. There's not a lot of celebration goes on at the end of a wicket either. Is it? The sort of uh, emotional microclimate of cricket's changed a lot in that attitude. It does seem to be more tense and more verbal and more demonstrative. I don't know what they said to Fraser McGurk, but uh, there are match officials out there. Match officials have at least demonstrated in this instance that that they will put their foot down. If lines are crossed, God, did I just say lines are crossed? <laughs> um, Phone lines. <laughs> codes of conduct are breached. You know, and and I don't know. What did you guys think of Smith getting a twenty five percent fine for dissent? Yeah, I, look, I think it was warranted being at the game. I, I thought that he probably went a step too far. And, and look, what's the mood around the Aussie camp? Because you know, you got three players taking mental health leaves. You've got you know Pattinson suspended for this game. You know, there's, I guess, you know, bubbling debate about whether Steve Smith will come back to the captaincy ever. You know, what's the mood like up there? Well, to be honest with you, I've only seen them for half an hour and for only from a, from the other side of the fence. But uh, I can't imagine that, uh, that that meeting on Saturday night where they had to deal with the Pattinson issue and they, and they had it hanging over their head because it wasn't resolved until the next day. And then Smith apologised. I, I can't imagine that was the way they wanted to start this tour. And then to have Pattinson depart the group, it's not probably a good thing for the group not to have him hanging around so they can, they're not reminded of this stuff. But uh, it's not an ideal start to the summer. No. What are you sort of interested in this summer, Pete? You know, last last summer was all about the recovery from the sandpaper fiasco. What do you think is going to move the needle this summer? Well, you know, the things that excite me this summer are Steve Smith and Marnus Labashain. I want to see if Steve Smith can keep operating at that level he did at the Ashes, at that level that some of the TV advertisements are suggesting he'll continue to operate at. If he does that, uh, it's going to be something else to watch. I also want to watch Marnus Labashain closely. I wonder if it's going to be... Yeah, he certainly had a breakout in the Ashes, didn't he, if he continues that. And he started the Sheffield Shield season extremely well. So that's going to be great to watch. Can you imagine how wrapped he'll be when he scores a test ton? <laughs> yeah, do you think it's going to become a thing? It shouldn't be a thing yet, should it? He hasn't played that many tests. No, no, I hope not. Anyway. He's not doing a, a what? Remember Watson and um, Cadditch specialised in getting out in the 90s there for a little while, didn't they? Yeah, I think it was Cadditch specialised in running Watto out in the 90s. Manners is trying to make it a thing, and then every time someone <laughs> accuses him of making a thing, he denies it, but he's, he's chipping away. I'm not away. trying to make it a thing. I just, you know, <laughs> Manus is such a happy-go-lucky guy. I mean, you know, when he scores a 50, he's bouncing around. So when he scores a 100, he's going to be like bouncing off the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's going to be great to see just how he goes this summer, I think. Hey, and... Um, it's exciting to have these Pakistani quicks out. Did you get to see the 16-year-old all in the Australia A game? 
Yeah, I did. I cannot believe that his mother passed away during that game and he took one day off. One day off, Pete. I mean, that is next-level commitment. It sure is, isn't it? I mean, I can't believe that he's still in the country after his mother has passed away. But just shake our heads in amazement. And uh, putting that to one side, by God, I mean, that sounds... sounds, um, Harsh, doesn't it? But he seems to have done it pretty quick, easily. He really roughed up Kawaja and Harris in that game. In a few overs he bowled them, they looked really rattled facing him. He's going to be fun. He's got some real elasticity, hasn't he, about the way he bowls, some real wang. Yeah, and I like that Shaheen Afridi, the left arm quick. He's also, I think, a, a player to watch. Yeah, so, I mean... It's always fun watching young players come into the game. And, I mean, we were hoping that we'd be watching Will Pukowski come into the game. um, And that's not going to happen, not in the immediate future. And last year we were robbed of seeing Pritvi Shaw, weren't we? Yeah. He turned his ankle at the SCG. So, anyway, we've got another teenager coming out. It's mind-boggling to think, you know, that he's 16 years old and about to play test cricket. Yeah, I mean, I interviewed a WBBL player on the weekend, Phoebe Litchfield, and she's 16, and I just couldn't get over that. So, uh, yeah, it's incredible. I couldn't get over the fact she skipped a game for a year 10 exams. I mean, my God, who's advising these people? Year 10 (laughs) exams don't matter. (laughs) Seriously. I agree. (laughs) I was going to say, what do you think of the Pakistan standards under under Mickey Arthur and when Steve Rickson was around? It seemed like they were really working hard to improve fielding and running between the wickets. Uh, it seems as though they're starting to go in the wrong direction in the T20s. Do you think that's going to be an issue for them this summer? Yeah, I don't know. They haven't played. Like, they haven't played a test match since January. Pakistan really don't know what they're going to bring to the game, is it, uh, or to the field? You know, you're never really on in those A games. Are you? You're not totally switched on, so it's hard to judge them by that. So we'll have to wait and see. They're, they're just. They're a mystery, Pakistan, aren't they? Oh, you for sure. You just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, what do you think would happen if Pakistan were to, say, draw this series or win this series? What do you think the fallout would be? <laughs> be blood on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Australia, Australia are not allowed to lose series at home. When they lose a series at home, with rare exception... There is usually some sort of major crisis in Australian cricket declared, isn't there? And uh, heads roll, all sorts of things happen. The press carry on like pork chops. They're allowed to get away with it last year because because it was extraordinary circumstances, wasn't it? You know, India are a very, very good side, and Australia were weakened weakened by the uh, the bands. But uh, yeah, no, you're not allowed to lose one. Who's this? I'm allowed to lose one to Pakistan. Well. Pete, you have set it up very nicely now because I think Pakistan are a real chance to steal a test, maybe even the series. So uh, you never know. We could be in for some a bloodbath. Is that your prediction, Menace? Yeah, I'm, I'm going one all. I'm, no, I'm are go- you going to back Pakistan to win? No, I'm going is one it? all. I think it's going to be one all. I think they'll split one the series. All. My prediction is 2-0 um, to Australia for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> What's yours, Pete? Me? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think Australia will win 2 nil. Well, Pete, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. Uh, the listeners have been asking for you. They've missed you. That's rubbish. That's <laughs> rubbish. That's, that's true. Okay. But call me back when I've got a bit more of a feel for it. I only just yeah. got to Brisbane last night, but uh, I'll... Uh, be in a warm bath of cricket for the rest of the summer. All right. Well, we'll be chatting regularly. You must be happy to have Ben Horn back on the road with you. Uh, yes, yes, my work husband. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks again, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Take care. See ya. Oh, great stuff from Pete Lawler there, the chief cricket writer for The Australian. You remember, you can head to theaustralian.com.au for all his articles. All right, Paul, let's preview in depth this Australia v Pakistan series. Uh, we touched on the, the squad a little bit with um, Pete there about the inclusion of Cam Bancroft. Overall, though, I think the squad's pretty good. Do you have any big problems? Are you still upset that they left Kawaja out? I was never upset that they left Kawaja out because I could understand that it was going to be difficult to make a, a case for his inclusion given his recent poor form. I just think that compared to Burns and 
um, the others that were in line for that position. I, I thought he's a better player. But, uh, you know, I, I've got no problem with Burns being in the side. I've got no problem with Travis Head being in the side. So I think I agree that Bancroft was a surprise, but he's not going to be in the 11, I wouldn't have thought. So I think the, the 11 that they put out is a very acceptable 11. I have no real quibbles with it, and I think it's a really, really strong side. I agree. I think they picked the right 11. I, I'm very disappointed in the Bancroft selection because I think it sends a bad message to the other players around the country. And Jeff Lawson, writing in the Sydney Morning Herald on the weekend, put it better than me. He said, Hones must be watching a Bancroft doppelganger if he has observed that the improvement in his game is quite noticeable. It certainly isn't reflected in the only currency which counts, which is making runs. We may as well cancel the Sheffield Shield as a proving ground for test cricketers if this rationale is to be used by the National Selection Panel. I mean, it's a fair point by Jeff Lawson, and I think that... That's the only part of the squad that is mystifying. I agree. And I suppose if you, if you find a way to justify it by talking about he is there as the concussion sub and then you'd say, okay, well, in their minds, Marcus Harris is a top, is an opening batsman only. So if you get Bancroft in there, you've got further cover. That still doesn't make sense as to why you wouldn't pick Kawaja. Who's opened and batted in the middle order. Yeah. Sean so, Marsh as well. Well, it's almost as though that Kawaja and Marsh, they, they almost do feel as though they've moved on from and mm. that, you know, Bancroft was the, was, was the next one in line. I just hate the way it looks. I think the optics of the Bancroft selections right throughout this year have looked bad. It looks like they're playing favourites. Whether that's true or not, that's the way it looks with the Ashes and with this. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I, I could see someone like um, Tom Cooper's name does not even come up for consideration. He's yet he scored 518 runs at 86, albeit he, he got a... 270-odd at the junction at the junction over. over, yeah. But even someone like Moses Enriquez, he's not being considered whatsoever. Yet we've seen him bat really well. Um, he's scored 337 runs at an average of 56. Uh, he's in good form. And he's come out twice and outbatted Steve Smith. Steve Smith was marooned, struggling, um, but getting through, and each time Steve Smith got 100 because he's that good. But it was Enriquez who, you know, drove the game forward. And you could say, well, not necessarily should he be picked for the first test, but I don't think he was even... I suspect he wouldn't have even been mentioned in the entire um, meetings that they had. And I'm just guessing that. No, you're right. But that's probably to Jeff Lawson's point, that he should at least be be being talked about. I absolutely agree. It's very well... A very good point you make, Paul. Uh, so I guess the one thing about the James Pattinson suspension is it does take a little bit of the debate out of uh, who's going to start as the quicks. I think Stark and Pattinson were probably locked in a bit of a head-to-head battle, although Pete Lawler seemed to indicate that Stark was probably going to play. But, you know, Stark with 17 shield wickets at 17 uh, should be in the 11. And, you know, you and I have seen um, Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood bowl up close in the Sheffield Shield, and all three of them look in superb form. And I saw Pat Cummins bowl a spell before lunch on the third day in the Sheffield Shield that was just mind-blowing. There was nothing happening. The ball wasn't swinging. The pitch was looking slow and dead. He got the ball in his hand, bustled in. He got the ball to move both ways. He got three quick wickets, and he just looked like the best test bowler in the world. So I think Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins are going to do really well. Yeah, I think that there was a big gap between Stark and, and Pattinson as well. I, I agree with Pete. I think that those three were absolute certainties to be picked. Cummins, the way he's bowling, it's almost like they've taken the best of McGrath and the best of Gillespie and combined them into the into the one unit. That And Clark Kent and Superman all rolled into <laughs> one. <laughs> but I was looking up the stats in the in the Shield game that the last 100 years, if, if, if Australian cricketers have taken 100 wickets or more, Cummins has the second best average and the best strike rate by miles. So he's really absolutely at the top of his game. And that spell that you talked about, every ball was hitting the top of off stump and fast. Some were swinging away and some were cutting back in. Um, you know, no one can play that. Yeah, absolutely ripping spell. So look out, Pakistan. All right, now, Paul, what do you think the soft spots are in the Australian side, if any? I don't think there are any um, soft spots. I do think that the second half of the batting lineup is less... Uh, there's a fair drop away from the, the very top of the order um, in terms of, I think, Smith, Warner, Labuschagne are the ones that you probably feel most confident about. Wade, pretty good. 
Burns and Travis Head, maybe less so. But I, I think that compared to the Ashes, where it felt like it sometimes it was Smith and, and you know, and no one else, that's, that doesn't quite feel the same way now. So I, I just think the Australian side is... Um, I think they would, if they played that Australia A side, I think they'd blow them off the park. As they should. Yeah, look, I don't think there's really any soft spots, but I do have maybe a couple. Like, I think Warner's test form... It's not a concern yet, but coming off the ashes, if he were to fail in the first test, I think that that pressure would increase for the second test. So I'm not worried, but I, I just am a little bit, I guess, I guess I am worried. That's what I'm really saying there. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and fair enough too. And I'm a massive fan of Warner, but I agree. He, he has these last five test matches um, have been really terrible. You do have to eventually run out of patience. At the moment, he's in my Australian side. He's the second player I pick still as a batsman. But if he keeps on failing, then that patience will run out. Manus Lobeshain hasn't scored a test century yet. I'm not really worried about that. But he does play across his front pad. So we'll just see how the swinging ball goes. Shaheen Afridi, that left arm angle swinging back into his pad, could be dangerous for Manus. I I think it's a fascinating thing watching him go around because his record up to just recently, was modest. Um, year in, year out, he was playing okay. But suddenly, I and everyone else is talking about him as right up there with our, as our second best batsman or our third best batsman. I suppose, Matt Wade is our second best batsman. Well, I think that... Um, I, think the, <laughs> I think you think that, but I don't know if... Um, well, it might probably be true. Maybe yeah. continue. Um, I think that it'll be interesting to see whether what we've seen in the last few months is really the making of Labashain as an out-and-out test star. Hopefully that's what it's going to be. Or uh, yeah, Does he, he has... take a step back? We've seen a lot of test cricketers, they do well, and then they might drop back a bit. Is the, has the recent form been an aberration and he's actually not quite so good? His shield form so far this season has been good, but it hasn't been outstanding good. He's scored 260 runs at an average of 43. Uh, he started really well. He, he's faded away a little bit. Um, let, let's see. Let's see how he goes. Yeah, I mean, if he scores a couple of tons, I mean, he'll be locked in as the number three for a few years. Uh, Travis Head and Joe Burns both coming back into the team after being dropped for various reasons. So I guess they've both got a lot to prove. Not that I would necessarily say it's a soft spot. Pakistan, though, where do you see their strengths and weaknesses, Paul? Well, Mohammed Abbas is not talked about often because he's not exciting in terms of speed. Can I just set this up? So what, what do you think the attack will be for Pakistan? So Muhammad Abbas was the, the medium pacer that destroyed us in the UAE two years ago. And then I think they'll go with Shaheen Afridi, Imran Khan and Yassir Shah. I think the 16-year-old will probably miss out. Well, do you think that's a fair, fair idea of their attack? Yeah, so I think um, Shaheen, Imran, Abbas and... The leggy Yashir Shah. Yeah, um, I suppose it comes down to that or Nassim. Yeah, when the Nassim Shah. But I think they might hold back the 16-year-old for the second test. But yeah, sorry, so you were saying about Abbas? His record is r- remarkable. He's, he's got a, a bowling average of 18.8 in test cricket. And he hasn't played all that much, but he's got 447 wickets at first-class level at an average of 20.6. And over the years, he has consistently, year in, year out, had... Um, Averages in the teens. He did really well against Australia in the UAE, although we kind of worked him out a little bit in the second test. The Australians are coming forward and um, nullifying him a little bit. I think he's the key to, to their whole tour. That um, if he can, especially with the, the pink ball, if he can nibble it around an off stump and do what he does and get a bit of swing, Australians don't, don't handle that all that well. And I think that he's the number one most important player, I thought, for Pakistan in this series. Who do you think they'll open the batting with? Do you have any idea? Imam Al-Haq and Azhar Ali. Um, yeah, that's what I would think too. I thought maybe Harris Sahail might open if, instead of Al-Haq. Shan Massoud is also an interesting player for them because in their recent tour of South Africa where they didn't, they didn't go all that well, he showed a little bit stronger form and he's being talked about as, a, as someone who's coming of age. But he's got a, quite a modest record. He's um, averages in the 20s in Test cricket and 34 in first-class cricket. So... He's another one. His form will probably be quite a good indicator as to how they're going to go. That if he, uh, as one of the sort of the, the second tier batsmen, can uh, show some of what he showed in South Africa, then they might they might be they might be going okay. I just think though, although they play well against a very good Australia A bowling lineup in Perth, the way that Stark has, Stark Hazelwood and Cummins are bowling at the moment, 
they're almost irresistible. Yeah, I think you're right. So my concerns about Pakistan are, I think the top order is a little bit soft. So I think down the order with Baba Azam, Asid Shafiq and Azhar Ali, they're their three strong players, but around them is a bit soft. And I'm worried about the Pakistan side matching it with Australia for five days. I think this young quick attack will, in patches, really challenge our batting lineup, but... I feel that if we're good enough to get through those periods, then we'll be able to rest the initiative back over five days. I'm just not sure whether they'll be able to maintain that for the five days. But as I said, I certainly think they're a dangerous team. Also, the fielding and running between the wickets and just the general one percenters that Australia do so well. Pakistan are going to be really up against it if they take wickets off no balls, if they drop simple catches and and turn threes into twos. You know, they're... It's hard to quantify, but they're almost giving Australia a 30 or 40 run head start in each innings when you factor all that in. And against Australia at home, it's hard enough beating them anyway to, when, you let it, when you're giving that sort of advantage away. All right, Paul. Now, it is prediction at time. So Pete Lawler managed to get out of us our series score predictions. So I'm going for a one-all series draw. I think Pakistan are going to steal a test. Have they ever drawn a series here, Paul? I think probably in the 80s. Uh, they kind of have, uh, well, they, they, they have, yes. Although the first ever test match they played in Australia was a one-off test match, and that was a draw in 64. Then twice in the 70s, they, they drew a series here. Um, 76, 77, they drew a three-test series, one-all. And then uh, 78, 79, they drew a two-test series, one-all, when Australia's best players were all playing World Series cricket. Since then, it's been slim pickings. They've only won two individual test matches in all that time since. So you're what predicting 2-0 and I'm predicting 1-all. Yep. Now, Paul, a couple of other questions. What is your prediction for the lowest run scorer in Australia's top six? Well, I'm going to say Marnus Labashain on the off chance that what I said before is true and that it's a, his high form recently has been an aberration. Hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong too, but I'm going to go Joe Burns. Uh, I think up the top of the batting lineup against the Difficult Pakistan attack under lights also in the second test. I think it could be tough for opening batting. So Joe Burns is my lowest run scorer. Can I just say, you have for about a year now, every day, woken up and howled at the world that Joe Burns is not on the Australian side. And when he's back in the Australian side, you predict him to be the lowest scorer. (laughs) I'll tell you my reasoning, though. You know, all of those out there are scratching their heads thinking, what's men is on today? We'll just work through the order. I think Warner will do well. Marnus Lobeshane, I think, is going to do well. Steve Smith goes all right. I think Matthew Wade and Travis Head down the order look pretty good. So, yeah, I think just Joe Burns will be vulnerable to that new ball. Fair enough. Uh, But he should be in the side, Joe Burns, absolutely. And now the lowest wicket taker for Australia in this series, I'm going to go Nathan Lyon. I think the, the Pakistan batsman will play him pretty well and it'll be Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood that get all the wickets. Yeah, I agree. And it may well be that Nathan Lyon bowls really well and doesn't get a huge amount of opportunities. And Paul, who would who do you think will be Australia's player of the series? Well, Steve Smith. And I hope, I hope that I'm right. Pete mentioned that it's going to be really interesting to see whether he can keep on going at this phenomenal average of 64-65. And that's going to be something that's going to captivate the public if he can. I'm saying he will. My player of the series would be Mitchell Stark. I think he dines out on these poor subcontinental teams that tour here. His extra pace and bounce, his vicious Yorker. So I think it'll be Mitchell Stark who gets all the wickets and his player of the series. Pink ball test will help him as well. I think he's got more uh, day-night test wickets than any other bowler at the moment in the world. So the first test against Pakistan starts this Thursday at the Gabba. Paul and I cannot wait. Uh, keep a track of us on social media. We're going to be tweeting and Instagramming and reacting to the test summer. I cannot wait. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. And then after the break, we'll be back with the headlines. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm, of course, Andrew Mensel. I'm with Paul Dennett. And let's get straight into the week of cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. Sunday was a day that the Agar family will never forget. The two Agar brothers came up against each other in the Marsh Cup. Ashton Agar playing for WA, Wes Agar playing for South Australia. 
Wes Agar, clean bowled Ashton Agar uh, for five when he was bowling. So already the younger brother got one up on the, the big brother. But then things got even worse because Agar came out, Wes Agar came out to bat and he hit a ball in the air to his brother at mid-on, Ashton Agar, who was attempting to take the catch, slipped, fell over, and the ball hit him on the nose, breaking his nose and um, meaning he needed stitches. There was blood everywhere. So it was like a real day for the Agar family. And, like, the thing is, they're really close brothers. And I know last time they played against each other in the, the Big Bash, they found it really funny, like, playing against each other and really weird. So I can only imagine yesterday was a, or Sunday was a very strange day for them. Certainly would be. And it was like Ashton, the big brother, helped the little brother out, got himself clean bowled and then dropped the catch and managed to break his <laughs> nose. WA well. still won, though. Ashton's team still won. Well, that's good for, for Ashton. I think that I like the celebration of Wes. It was quite muted when he got Ashton out, but it must be a weird feeling that you've played your, you know, your whole life. You, when your brother succeeds, you feel like you've succeeded and now you're um, trying to stop him. How the rest of the family um, watch it must be quite um, must be a quite a fraught viewing experience. Yeah, especially when it doesn't seem like they're competitive brothers. You know how some brothers yeah. they're always competing against each other, so they would probably enjoy that. Whereas it seems like they find it quite difficult. And I can only imagine uh, their mother watching on as you know Ashton's on the floor with blood all over his face. The brothers running up from the batting crease to see how he was. That moment must have been really scary. He's okay, though. But, yeah, quite a Sunday for the Agar family. So, Paul, what do you make of this news out of the IPL that nine Australian players have been culled from their IPL franchises? The only ones that stay with their teams are Steve Smith, David Warner, Billy Stanlake and Shane Watson. I think that's just kind of par for the course in the IPL, that that's the way it happens. I, I'm surprised that Ashton Turner was released. I, I think that surely the, the, the amazing innings he played for Australia against India, uh, in India, must be fresh in the memory. He'd be someone that I would want in my T20 side all the time. I've seen him play so many great innings for the Scorchers, but hopefully he'll get picked up in the, in the auction when it comes ahead. I think it really displays how ruthless yeah. the IPL is, that even if you're a big name and you come with a big reputation, if you don't perform or your team doesn't perform, that reputation won't help you and you're out the door. And also maybe signals there's a little bit of a shift away from this love affair with Australian players in the IPL. Yeah, potentially. Um, and I think as well, that the fact that you can only have four internationals on the field at any given time further emphasises how ruthless they have to be with their overseas players. Yeah, the players that were cut, Andrew Ty, Moses Enriquez, Matt Kelly, Ben Cutting, Jason Berendorf injured, Ashton Turner you mentioned, and there were yeah, a number of other Australians released. All right, now, Paul, to the Sheffield Shield ladder. Uh, we were commentating on the New South Wales v WA game. New South Wales have now won four games from four matches and they are atop of the ladder with 31 points. Their nearest rival is Queensland on 17.38 points. So New South Wales have got a big big lead over 13 points, which is over two outright wins. In that last round, Queensland beat Victoria with seven balls to spare after being behind by over 100 in the first innings. New South Wales blitz WA at the SCG. And South Australia and Tasmania played out an exciting draw. Uh, yeah, quite a match we saw at the SCG between New South Wales and WA. Yeah, New South Wales were, were phenomenal, absolutely overpowering WA, which on paper is, is what it looked like, that they had uh, almost a test-strength lineup. WA have several players missing, so no surprises there. Look, I've been thinking about this for a few weeks, and I haven't said anything because I've just wanted to confirm that I really do think this, but... I do think this. They should get rid of the bonus points in the Sheffield Shield. I think they're an absolute nonsense. Um, I've been at the games with you. Um, we've been pulling up all sorts of stats. Everyone's there's totally focused. I haven't heard the bonus points mentioned once. I bet half the players don't know what they are. No one's saying, oh, we, you know, let's, let's prolong our declaration for a few overs while we get an, a few extra bonus points. And it just looks silly. You look at um, Queensland at the moment. They're not on 17. They're on 17.38. Victoria on 7.14. Victoria have the second most bonus points. They're coming last. They have 6.14 bonus points. Um, New South Wales have 7.0 bonus points. It's just, it's a rod for the Sheffield Shields back. People can look at it and say, you've got points to two decimal places. That's ridiculous. Also, isn't it alienating? So if you're just a casual fan of the Sheffield Shield, but you don't really understand, you, you know, you might pull up the the paper if you're living in the 1980s or the internet and um, see that 
you're right. A team's got 13.4 points. One team's got 7.14. What does it all mean? And you're not going to start digging around and trying to find out. You're just going to stop being interested. Yeah, and I don't think it's driving many changes in the way that the games are being played. Maybe I'm wrong, and you know, if anyone disagrees and really likes them, then, then by all means, give us that opinion. But also, the actual rules for the bonus points. Every game, I, I reread them and think, oh, that's right, and then I instantly forget them. Like, I can never actually remember what the, the math spot, not that it's hard, but it just goes in one ear and out the other, and I think that's a sign that it's, um, it's not working. Now to the Women's Big Bash. The Brisbane Heat are on the top of the Women's Big Bash ladder after winning both games at Dremoyne Oval on the weekend. Uh, I saw them play one game, the Heat, on Saturday night. I think they look in great form. I love the way the Brisbane Heat seem to be enjoying their cricket. They seem really confident. Obviously, they're the defending champions. So I think the Brisbane Heat are going to be really difficult to beat for the rest of this Women's Big Bash League. I just think they've got a great team and uh, you watch out for them. Uh, news that Elise Perry has injured her shoulder. We're not sure how serious that is, but that could be a huge blow to the Sydney Sixers and the competition and the match of the round and probably the match of the weekend in, in any form of cricket was uh, the Sixers were hosting the Renegades at Dremoyne. The Renegades needed five to win off the last ball. Courtney Webb from the Renegades hit a six to win the game for the Renegades. And, uh, yeah, great victory for Melbourne. Heartbreaking loss for the Sixers, but the moment of the weekend. It was a crazy final over. There was run-out opportunities, errors, excitement, and then the six off the final ball. Uh, it was captivating stuff. I was doing some other work after the Big Bash on Saturday night, and I interviewed a 16-year-old, Paul, Phoebe Litchfield, 16-year-old, year 10 student playing for the Sydney Thunder. I just could not believe it that, you know, there's this professional cricketer still in year 10 at school. It's it's amazing. When she kind of um, burst onto the scene a few weeks ago, I saw something that had been posted on Twitter six months before of her batting in the nets and whether she'd even turned 16 at that point. And she just looked amazing in the way she was so crisp and so compact and so powerful and so good at age uh, 15 or or 15 or 16. Uh, It was remarkable viewing. It's interesting watching how emotional she gets on the field. You know, being a young person playing professional cricket must be very difficult, male or female. So I think she dropped a catch on Friday night and she was, you could tell she was really visibly disappointed. And yeah, she must be going on a roller coaster ride, this uh, WBBL, but so exciting for the competition. All right, Paul, uh, that's it for the week's cricket headlines. Let's take a break and then we'll be back with the social media segment. In the break, you'll hear from Meg Lanning. I asked her a question because we were at a, an event for the 100, day, 100 days to go before the Women's World Cup starts. think England will be your biggest threat come the tournament? They'll certainly be one of them. Uh, I think um, India will be very strong. New Zealand always play extremely well. And, yeah, as I said, I think it's going to be a really open tournament. So um, our first aim is to get through to the semifinals, the semifinals which will be held here at the SGG, which is going to be a great event and um, two two games in one day. So um, our first aim is to, to get through that group stage and uh, be playing here at the SGG. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered and the social media segment. Now, Manners, I am an absolute sucker for old highlights and especially the audio. It just grabs me. And uh, Rob Moody, who's famous on YouTube as Rob Belinda too, with the most amazing collection of cricket highlights of all time, has discovered some from the 75-76 summer, which are kind of obscure. And he posted them on Twitter. I'm going to play a little section for you now. But what's so uh, wonderful is that not only the great names of the, of the players playing, but this was Channel 7 and it was the beginning of Laurie, Benno and Greg commentating. It's kind of several years before we think they should be commentating. There's almost an old-timey quality. Like Tony Gregg's accent's far more South African. Um, it just sounds um, very, very ancient. And yet these were the three people who would become the voice of Australian summer for the next four decades. That was a lovely piece of cricket by the Australians. That was a very good delivery. Rowe was committed to the stroke and a great catch by Rodney Marsh. Oh, and he's out. He's got him. He's caught slip. Greg Chappell's done it. He's broken the partnership. Greg Chappell bowling one and two Vivian Richards outside off stump playing a very, very loose shot to not a really very good ball. It's out. Roberts caught Marsh bowled Willie for six. 
nine for 218. Bowled him. That was the precursor to Bill Laurie's Bowled him! He was a little bit more measured back then. But I just, um, I could listen to that all day, Manus. Yeah, so could I. That was great sound. You know, now that you and I have sort of stepped into the commentary box at such an amateur level, I, I do feel that Laurie, Benno, Greg, even Ian Chappell, have been quite a strong influence in our commentary and the way we approach it. What do you think? Having recently listened to them, um, I would like to think they've been an influence on us, but we've, we've got a long way yeah, to go. <laughs> influence, yeah. yeah. We're not emulating them yet. No, no not quite. Um, I, they sound even better the more I listen to us on... Um. <laughs> yeah, but I try and bring the excitement to the commentary box that, you know, Bill Lurie used to bring. That You know, I hate it when you turn on the cricket and the, the commentators are just dozy and, you know, lethargic and unenergetic. You know, I want some passion, some some vibe about it, some... You know, some enthusiasm. Give it to me. Ram it down my throat. Tony Gregg used to get especially excited when he knew that it was kind of like 4.30 and that the the school kids would be home and he thought, if I can really dial up the excitement now, I'm going to get the next generation of cricket fans um, really interested into it. It wasn't as though he was confecting. He was naturally excited as well. But, yeah, for three ex-players to be so eloquent and articulate and exciting was, um, was, was a remarkable era of commentary. All right, TikTok. We keep on talking about it. It is so it's so much fun. Um, there's some cricketers on TikTok now, uh, at least one anyway. Aaron Summers, who is the lethally... I'll be going to you for advice soon, Paul, after <laughs> your foray into TikTok. Listeners, Paul posted some TikTok videos that just went viral. I mean, you've got all these, you know, teenage boys now following you on uh, TikTok for your cricket um, stats. Well, I thought, you know, that... TikTok is for the youngsters, so what better way than to give some hardcore statistics from the late 20s and early 1930s? I know, and it worked. <laughs> One video was up to like 30,000 views. Yeah, it's been pretty remarkable. Um, Aaron Summers is on TikTok as well, and he is the lethally quick bowler from Tasmania, and he is on TikTok as Aaron Summers 96 If you haven't yet downloaded TikTok, go on there. The best thing about it is that unlike any other social media platform, you don't have to start following people in order for it to be interesting. They will just start serving you up videos straight away and they'll work out by the ones that you watch for a long period of time um, which ones they'll serve you in the future. You'll soon start seeing things that you're interested in. Yeah, so Aaron Summers is on TikTok. I'll send out a tweet from our Oz Cricket Pod Twitter account with the link to one of his videos. It's pretty cool. It's him bowling a really heavy ball uh, as a means of training. And you look at it and you think, oh, wow, how fast is this guy? So, yeah, get onto TikTok and follow Aaron Summers. And we're about to get on TikTok as well. We are actually on there. Cricket Unfiltered exists on TikTok, yet to release anything, although by the time this goes out, we might have. So get onto TikTok and give us a follow as well. So, Paul, just one question. So if you're a cricket fan and you go to TikTok, would you suggest just, you know, put in the search cricket and then, you know, watch some videos that you like and then hopefully the algorithm will serve you up videos that are similar? Yeah, you could do that. Or to be quite honest, the algorithm is so clever it will soon just work out what you like anyway. So I just started watching it with no intention of just... I was just having a look a few weeks ago. Within half an hour, I was getting um, cricket videos. It's it sort of read my mind. So you, you really don't have to do anything. It makes it quite easy for you. I sound like I'm a, um, an ambassador for TikTok. I actually, sadly, don't hold any equity in the company. <laughs> All right, now, Menas, what Paul. is... If you're, what are the worst bowling figures you could possibly imagine? I have the worst bowling figures of all time here in front of me. Oh, I'm so deliciously excited about these figures that you're about to give me. I'm going to say like none for 100 off three overs. All right. Well, here's what happened. It's a tweet from Wisden. Um, it's via Michael Wagner, uh, who's a New Zealand cricket fan. Happened in the Plunkett, Plunkett Shield um, a few weeks ago. So this bloke's come on to bowl. He's a medium pacer. Runs up. First ball. Shoulder high full toss. Batsman dispatches him for four. So the umpire signals four and then extends his arm to signal no ball and walks over to the bowler to give him the warning of that's a waist high full toss. One more of those and you're out for the entire innings. So at this stage, he's still yet to bowl a legal delivery and he has figures of none for five. Next ball, exactly the same thing, (laughs) except this time he gets hit for six. (laughs) Smashed out of the ground. The umpire signals six, signals no ball, Hands the bowler his sweater. The bowler takes it with good grace, 
walks off to mid-on with the fantastic bowling figures of 0.0 overs, none for 12. Wow. So there you go. Hasn't bowled a ball and has conceded 12 runs. That is incredible. So that's the end of the social media segment. Please get in touch with us on Twitter at OzCricketPod. Same handle for Instagram, so that's AUS Cricket Pod, all one word. And on TikTok, we are going to be at Cricket Unfiltered. All right, so to wrap up this podcast, we've got the Can't Let It Go segment. I've got a few Can't Let It Go, so Paul, you go first. I can't let go of the fact that we still have this myth in Australian cricket that if we're not sledging hard, then we can't win. And yet, yet again, we've seen an example of where potentially the opposite has occurred. Ben Stokes in his book says that the inspiration for his Headingly heroics was the um, was the sledging he was copying from David Warner. Now, he's probably embellished that. He probably would have played brilliantly anyway. But I think it's a further lends further weight to the lie of that if we're not being nasty, we can't win. We saw what happened with AB de Villiers in South Africa. It was kind of only when we got nasty at him that he really hit his straps. Um, I think you could make a strong case for saying that had Australia not been ever crossing the line in terms of sledging, our on-field results would certainly not have been impacted in, in a negative way. In, in fact, they might have been better. And I think this is just a further example and not another thing for me to harp on about. Yeah, good points. All right, now I've got a few can't let it goes um, to wrap up this week, Paul. Uh, so I learned last week that $4 million as a result of Australia hosting the T20 Women's World Cup will go to women's cricket in the communities. So that's a great figure, $4 million going back into the game. Josh Hazelwood took the last wicket in the fourth Ashes test for Australia to secure the Ashes, and he said that that was his favourite cricketing moment, beats winning the Ashes at home, it beats winning the World Cup on home soil. You know, that wicket and retaining the Ashes on English soil was his favourite cricket moment so far. And I don't know if you remember the, the footage of them celebrating after the DRS was given, but it sort of shows. I actually do remember that because I watched that footage in frame-by-frame slow motion because I had a theory that Steve Smith recognised that it was going to be given out and confirmed as out about three milliseconds ahead of all of them. And I didn't really... I wasn't able to prove the theory completely to my satisfaction to be able to say say that out loud. But I think it was true, and I think it just showed his reaction time is just the the very best. (laughs) His smile just was quicker than the rest rest of them. Well, that's it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks so much to Pete Lawler for coming on. I can't wait for the test summer to begin this week. Paul, do you think when that first ball at the Gabba's Bowl that we'll feel like we're really in the thick of summer? I hope so, yeah. It's always the, the great moment, the first ball of the summer. I hope there's a, bit, I hope there's a decent crowd at the Gabba. Well, thanks again for listening. Send us your emails to ozcricketpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at amenners, A-M-E-N-N-E-R-S. Paul, where can the listeners find you? At the underscore summer underscore game. Back next week with a review of the first test. 